in that age category. <clears throat> and then uh, beginning, uh, you can open your Bibles up to Colossians chapter 2. End of 1 and 2, if you have those, or your phone apps. A dad returned from a business trip, as he often did, with a suitcase in hand. He dropped it on the floor, and the kids ran up to him. The three boys ran up and said, Dad, what did you bring us home in your suitcase this time? And the dad was there, and he, he, he would often open up a suitcase and give them little gifts that he, he found. But this time, he returned home, and the kids asked, Hey, Dad, what do you have in your suitcase? And uh, he said, Well, I uh, brought me home to you, boys. Oh, that's nice, Dad. So what did you bring home to? And he said, I brought me, and that's it. Thus revealing the immaturity of the little boys uh, who, who put more stock in the gifts rather than the giver. Well, the Apostle Paul, he was mature, as we know, in Christ. He lived a long life as an apostle. And he was certainly mature as indicated by his focus on the giver rather than the gifts. And his letter to Colossians was Christ-centered. It was filled with Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, 28, He is the one we proclaim, Paul said, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That was the goal. We all want to be mature spiritually, and we all think of ourselves as relatively mature, I guess, or in various levels. And the Apostle Paul demonstrates what a mature faith looks like as, uh, as, through his actions, through his words, uh, through his letter. Um, and, and so there are two marks of spiritual maturity in um, Colossians chapter 2, and actually 1 and 2. And the two are that they are spiritually other-centered, and the other one is that they are Christ-centered. If you want to be mature, be other-centered, and then be Christ-centered in your life. That's the outline. It's pretty simple. Uh, chapter 1, we begin to see Paul's other-centeredness, and thus his maturity when he wrote, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Verse 9, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Uh, verse 24, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, for the sake of his body, which is the church, which is actually you. I have become its servant, or your servant, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Verse 29, to this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I contend for your maturity. And those who contend for something, like in sports, in the sports world, uh, if you're contending for, for the heavyweight title of the world, then you're going to go into strict training and you'll practice a, a great diet you'll even drink eggs like rocky in the morning you know a glass of eggs your exercise get up earlier than anyone else run through the streets because you want to accomplish your ultimate goal because you're contending for the title well mothers contend for the well-being of their children because the ultimate goal is to watch their children mature in christ 
and be other-centered. Paul strenuously contended to present everyone fully mature in Christ. And what makes this so amazing to me is that the Apostle Paul was not sitting in a plush pastoral office behind his Apple computer typing this letter. He was sitting in a cold, dark prison where he had been, uh, where he had, he had been for two years. Chapter 4, verse 3, we read about that. We may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. And nobody would have been surprised had Paul griped and complained and demanded attention and care from others. But instead, he was the one who was pouring out his compassion on others. He was caring for others. Paul's other-centered compassion was reflected in his thankful attitude throughout his letters, his prayer life, and his passionate pursuit for the well-being of these people. And furthermore... These were people that he had not met, nor had they met him. Not in person, not on Zoom, not on Instagram, not on Facebook. He hadn't even seen a photograph of these people. He had just been told of these people from Epaphras, these folks from Colossae whom he had never visited as of yet. Chapter 2 and verse 1, he writes, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you. And for those in Laodicea and for all who have not yet met me. Uh, Verse 5, for though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. He saw it in his mind because he had only heard of their maturity, of their discipline. How was it possible for Paul to be so other-centered, caring so deeply for people whom he had never met, especially sitting in a prison cell in his dire circumstances. Man, I know if it were me, I'd be complaining, I'd be griping, I'd be having a conversation with God. And how is it possible for moms to give and to serve and to care for her family and her kids without getting much in return? I mean, why don't I get cards only once a year on Mother's Day or birthday. Why doesn't somebody cook for me for a change? Why does everyone seem to take advantage of me? But yet she continues to give and to care and to love. Well, Paul had discovered a supernatural strength. He called it a mystery. And and this is uh, the second sign of spiritual maturity. He was not only other-centered, he was Christ-centered. In this mystery, he speaks about three times in the book of Colossians. In verse 26 of chapter 1, he said, The mystery has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. And here's the mystery. The mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Chapter 2, verse 2, in order that we may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom all are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then once again, he speaks of the mystery in chapter 4. This mystery, we proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Again, this mystery is Jesus Christ, but even more so, Jesus Christ living in us 
You see, the false teachers in class I were teaching that we become mature spiritually through these emanations as revealed by these angelic beings, uh, this higher knowledge that comes in a mysterious way. And so Paul was using their language of secrets and mysteries. But he said the mystery is not some sort of eerie uh, force that comes from Star Wars heaven, but it is the person of Jesus Christ. These false teachers included Christ in their teaching, but as we looked at two weeks ago, they taught about Christ plus knowledge, Christ plus bodily discipline, Christ plus sacrifice, Christ plus all these long list of rules, then you will attain this higher knowledge and, and closeness to this, this supernatural God, they said. They wrote in 2.19, or Paul writes of them, they have lost connection with the head, the head being Jesus, for whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. They're falling in line with these false teachers. Uh, trying to abide by a long list of rules which brought about a higher knowledge and a greater spirituality. More rules, rules, and more rules. In parenting, one who focuses on the rules absent of the relationship, children are rebellious. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. And, and so you could see a chart for authoritarian or authoritative or permissive parents but rules without relationship lead to rebellion in your children. But rules apart from relationship, spiritually speaking, lead to empty religion. People often ask me, or not often, but occasionally they ask me, so are you religious or something? I mean, something is weird about you. Are you religious? And I always have responded, no, I'm not religious but I have a relationship with a living Jesus. And then that intrigues them. They're not too intrigued by religion, but they are with relationship. Jesus never said, follow my religion. He never said, follow my followers. He didn't even say, follow my long list of rules. Rather, he said, follow me. Build a relationship with me and with one another. Other-centered Christ-centered. And so Paul proclaimed in Christ alone, in verse 3, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. For example, you want to be forgiven? Find it in Christ, not by obeying all these rules. Paul would say of his preaching, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except for Christ, Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is a central theme of my preaching. I'd like to illustrate that by this. Um, if sometimes you want to uh, uh, can things like jelly, like we do, then we'd get a, a jar like this. And the first thing we would do in this canning jar is we would uh, boil them. We'd boil them to cleanse them, to sterilize them, so that the food doesn't get contaminated. So once they're all cleaned and, and dried off, then what we would do is we would display them all around the house. All sorts of jars, beautiful jars. No, we wouldn't do that. 
We don't display uh, canning jars like this all around our house. I know you're disappointed in hearing that. But we sterilize them for one purpose, and the one purpose is to fill them. Well, Jesus said, I've come, I, I died for your forgiveness. I died to cleanse you of all your unrighteousness and your sin. But oftentimes, as we mentioned last week, we stop there in our spiritual lives. You know, we're forgiven, we're going to go to heaven, amen. But we forget that Christ died to forgive us, but he rose again to fill us with his righteousness. And so when we can, when we sterilize jars, then we fill them, right? We fill them and we should fill them. And so that, that's the point. That's the point of our spiritual life, to be filled with Christ. And that's what the Apostle Paul said. The mystery is Christ in us. Um, verse 27, Christ in us, which was, which was being revealed and hidden for all ages and generations. What did he mean? Revealed after being hidden for all generations and all ages. Well, the Old Testament saints would experience um, they would experience the Spirit of God as the Spirit of God came upon them but would depart from them. You know, for, for certain tasks that they were called to, like Samson. You know, he had to go slay the Philistines, and so the Spirit of God would fall upon him and he would be given supernatural strength. Or, or Gideon, when he was, um, he, he was around that, the fire, you know, calling for fire to fall down with all those Baal worshipers. And so the Spirit of God fell upon Elijah or, or Moses when he raised a staff and then he parted the Red Sea. The Spirit of God fell upon Moses. These Old Testament saints would gladly trade places with us for a day if they could only experience the permanent presence of the Spirit of God filling us. We are in a better place than the Old Testament saints, all these heroes. They would love to know what we're experiencing because we're filled with the Spirit. The Bible refers to the initial receiving of Jesus as the baptism of the Spirit. I know you've heard that term before, baptism of the Spirit, in various circles, but this is what I believe it is, biblically. In Acts 1.5, John, uh, Jesus said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then 10 days from that point in time, on the day of Pentecost, the disciples were filled, but not just the disciples, then... Um, all the rest of the people, the thousands of others, on the day that Peter preached, on the day of Pentecost. After Christ rose from the dead, he initially went to his disciples in the, in the upper room, not upper room, as they were hiding in the home behind closed doors because they were fearful. And then Jesus breathed on them and they were filled with the Spirit. But then they experienced the, the permanent filling on the day of Pentecost, some days later. And that was the birth of the church for Jews and for Jewish converts. But then we read through the rest of Acts and we come to Acts chapter 10 that uh, the disciples are in, I guess it's Paul, who, who's in Galilee at this time. In Acts chapter 10, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. So not only were the Jews filled, but now the Gentiles had their initial filling of the Spirit. Now the Gentiles were included in the church. And then later on in Acts chapter 19, 
when they were all around across Mediterranean in Turkey, modern-day Turkey, which would be Ephesus, then they experienced the same thing, 600-some miles away from Jerusalem. The gospel would be spread from Jerusalem to Judea, through Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The Great Commission was established, and all people groups were now included in the church. That was the baptism of the Spirit. We saw it experienced three times in the book of Acts. I believe that was because that's when they received the Holy Spirit. But now, because, the Holy, because we are included in the church, when we receive Christ, on our, upon our re, initial reception of the Holy Spirit, we are baptized in the Spirit. So if we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, then why do we sometimes struggle with sin? Well, D.L. Moody wrote, A great many think that because they've been filled once, they've been baptized in the Spirit. They're going to be full for all time after. But oh, my friends, we're leaky vessels. And we have to be kept right under the fountain all the time in order to keep full. Let us keep near Christ. So we're baptized in the Spirit once, but we're filled with the Spirit multiple times, even throughout the day. Baptized once, filled many times a day when we ask for it. Ephesians 5.18, we're commanded, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the verb tense is keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. How are we filled? Well, Dill Moody, um, well, let me just show you another illustration here. I got another glass jar here. And I, I enjoyed the strawberry lemonade last night. If you haven't had, uh, anyway. Um, and so Dale Moody was asked, he was preaching one day and he said, you know what, uh, I got this uh, jar here and there's air in there. How can I eliminate the air in this bottle? And so many people suggest, well, suck it out. Well, no, that didn't work. Um, well, get a pump and, and suck it out that way. And he said, well, if you do that, then the pump will actually shatter the jar so that won't work and so after many more suggestions D.L. Moody said he took a picture in his hand like this and he said this is how you do it kids do not try this at home he said there now the air is out of the bottle thank you very much thank you When we're fighting against sin, we, sometimes we just keep falling on our face. You know, we lose our patience, we get upset, we become selfish, on and on. And so we try harder, we grit our teeth. But, but the promise of victory is not in trying harder to eliminate our sin. It's simply to be filled with the Spirit of God. That's why we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit of God. Um, when we're depleted, as we are, as, as moms often experience, um, we need to simply pray, Lord, fill me with your spirit. It, it, and it's not how much of the Holy Spirit we have, because Jesus doesn't come into our life, at, you know, two-thirds of Jesus or, you know, one-eighth of Jesus. And, some, and now we have two-eighths, or we have one-fourth of Jesus. And now we have half, a, no, he, he comes into our life in full. It's not how much of the Holy Spirit of Christ we have, but it's how much of us does the Holy Spirit have. When we say, fill me with your spirit, Lord, we're saying, Lord, take over. 
I offer myself to you. Which comes to the third thing that we do. When we uh, fill the jar of jelly, then the next thing we we do is we uh, seal it, right? We seal it to keep it fresh um, so it won't spoil. And, um, And then we can set it aside for a while. So we seal that can Ephesians 4, we're told, we do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit seals us. Colossians 1.27, the mystery of Christ is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is our hope that one day we'll be in glory with him on the day of redemption. And so we have that assurance of eternal life, which gives us strength to live in this life. For example, a first grader stood up in front of the class who was given a speech, what I want to be when I grow up. He said, I'm going to be a lion tamer in the circus, and I will have lots of fierce lions. I will walk into the cage, and they will roar at me, and I will do this with a whip. And then he paused for a moment, and he, he thought about what he just said, and he said, but, but, but my mommy will be with me as well. In other words, I can face anything as long as I'm not alone. Well, Jesus said we're filled with his spirit. It's the spirit of Christ who fills us. We're not ever alone. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He said, and lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age, um, even to your hope of glory one day. Um, Paul said, nothing will ever separate us from the love of God found in Christ Jesus. And even in the Old Testament, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, We need not fear that we're alone. He's with us. But we fill canning jars for one purpose, don't we? Um, We fill them so that they give us strength, to strengthen our bodies. We could fill them and put them in the basement and never open them for the rest of our lives. We eventually open them with fruit or jam or or beans or whatever, and then we, we sustain ourselves. We fill our bodies. We strengthen our bodies. First Peter says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through knowledge of him. Everything we need, we have living within us. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life of maturity. But ultimately, we're filled with the Spirit not only to bless ourselves, but to bless others. We're called to strengthen our body, but we're also called as believers to strengthen the body of Christ. We've all been gifted to strengthen the body of Christ. So when Lynn made these jars of grape jelly from our backyard grape, Concord grape vineyard, we had several of these. Now I think we have three left because we've given many away as gifts. And it's really good. And if you've gotten one, you know what I mean. Um, So we are filled to bless and strengthen others, the body of Christ. So finally, how do we live the other-centered and Christ-centered life? Um, We're told in verse 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. How did we receive Christ? Well, there was a time in our life that we, by faith, entrusted our lives into Christ's care. Um, for by grace you've been saved through faith, not by your works, so no one can boast. 
Do you remember the time when you initially accepted Christ as your Savior? Um, do you remember the circumstances at which you prayed to receive Christ? Was it not because you felt a need in your life? Perhaps you felt empty. Perhaps you were going through a hard time and you didn't feel like you could face it alone. Perhaps you had fear because you didn't have eternal security. You didn't know, have the assurance for eternal life. Uh, perhaps you felt lost or weak or hurting in some other way. But you entrusted your life into the care of Christ. There was a transfer of allegiance from yourself to Christ sitting on the throne. And then we began to experience changes in our life, through our lives, in our thoughts, in our actions, in our words, in our priorities. And we began to hunger for the things of God, and things changed internally from the inside out. Just as you receive Christ, Paul writes, continue to live your lives in him. You receive Christ by faith, continue to walk by faith. How do we walk or live by faith? We're told in verse 7, you, not, you must be rooted in him. Rooted, or NLT says, let your roots go down deep into Christ. Trees stay alive because they depend upon the nourishment and the nutrients found underground. The water and, and the strength and the sustenance from the earth allows the trees to beautify above the earth. In the same way, we re remain spiritually alive and mature when we allow our spiritual roots to go down deep into Christ. Christ is our daily bread. He is the water of life. And then verse 7, we're rooted and we're built up in him. Um, Paul uses another image here, not only rooted in a tree, but built up like a building. Um, or a New Living Translation says, and let your lives be built on him. This points to an intentionality of building our lives on him, entrusting our needs and our plans and our daily desires to Christ rather than to a thousand other alternatives that are screaming for our attention and allegiance. We say, no, I'm going to build my life on Christ. He's going to be my foundation. He's going to be my top priority in life. And he will be for my children as well. We're not going to sacrifice worship of Christ or, or, or studying about Christ or learning about him for anything else. We're building our life on this foundation of Christ. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground will prove to be sinking sand, ultimately. And the result, we will be mature in our faith. Verse 7, we'll be strengthened in faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Or New Living Translation, Paul writes, then your faith will go strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. So that is the mystery for this prisoner named the Apostle Paul. He found tremendous freedom, joy, a heart of thankfulness, even despite not knowing the people personally, despite sitting in a prison cell, he found such great strength because he was Christ-centered. He could be other-centered. Those are the two signs and marks of spiritual maturity, to love God and love others.
My only question is, as we look at our own lives, do a self-assessment, are we maturing in those ways? Are we Christ-centered? And does it make us other-centered? Let's pray. And so, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are here this morning. You are here to meet with us, and you are so pleased that, um, that we are here to worship you. Again, whether we're online or whether we're in person, we've carved out this time this morning to spend time in your presence, to focus on your word, to hear your voice, and to listen so that we could be obedient and walk by your spirit. So once again, I pray that you renew us, renew our minds, and fill us with your spirit. Empower us to live this life that you're calling us to live so that one day, will be glorified in your presence. In Christ's name, amen.